Good morning, Boker Tov. Everybody is, uh, hopefully everyone is recovering from the month-long festivities and transitioning back to uh, regular life. Um, we continue our study of the Parsha. Parsha's Noach begins all over again. And rather than go through Pesukim inside this week, I want to tackle a subject which has always been curious to me, and that is the subject of rainbows. We know in this week's Parsha, Everyone's familiar with the story. God is disappointed in humanity. In fact, the very opening of the Torah itself is a great source of disappointment. To me, it's part of the overwhelming, compelling evidence of the authenticity of Torah. If one were to fabricate a religion, it's unlikely they would begin the story of their Bible with the stories that our Torah opens with, that essentially indict humanity. If one were to invent, to fabricate a religion heartwarming, beautiful, moving, feeling stories. What do we start with? Adam and Chava are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Cain, Cain kills Hevel, his brother, jealousy. You have the story of the flood, which is the result of lust. You have the story of the Tower of Bavel, which is the result of the quest for honor. The Slonim Rebbe, Rav Shalom Noach Berzovsky, writes beautifully in his Nesiva Shalom that in fact, this is the origin of the Mishnayas and Pirkei that three things the world is destroyed for and that is Kina Taiva jealousy, lust and honor how did our rabbis know that? the answer is very simple they opened the Torah, they opened the Chumash and they saw Cain kills Havel and God says that's, that's not good that's not why I created people to feel jealous, to feel envy and then Taiva, Tava why was this generation of the flood wiped out? Why did God decide to press the reset button? Because their lust. They were acting impetuously. They were acting impulsively. They followed their lust. They took that which was not theirs in the language of the Torah, in the language of the Mephoshim. Be it relationships they violated, women that were not theirs. Be it money, which we know it was the result of Hamas, which one can't ever help but finding the irony in the name of an organization with the cause for which God destroyed the world. Right? Hamas? Hamas means gezel. It means uh, stealing. And the violation was they were stealing things even less than a shava pruta. They were stealing insignificant pennies. Now on the one hand you could say when you steal something insignificant, I don't want to say it's a virtue, but it's not as bad as stealing a lot of money, right? Somebody who's accused of petty crime is certainly better than uh, Bernie Madoff. But on the other hand, someone who steals pennies doesn't stand to profit from the pennies. The pennies don't change their life in the positive. Why are they stealing? Because they have no recognition of the notion of ownership. What belongs to you doesn't belong to you. I'm entitled to it. So that was the straw that broke the camel's back. The Almighty decided, jealousy, that's not why I created the world. Lust, that's not why I created the world. And then honor, Migdal Bavel. Those of the Tower of Bavel decided, shame. we want to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a skyscraper. It's going to reach the uh, limits. We're going to be able to conquer the heavens. And why did they want to do that? To advance science? To advance technology? No. Those are legitimate reasons to, to uh, discover and to be creative. shame. they wanted a name. Honor, glory. So the rabbi said, They remove a person from the world. A person who is consumed by jealousy, a person who is consumed by their lust, temptation, a person who is consumed 
by the need for honor, it removes you from the world. Meaning, you're not living a balanced, purposeful life. You can't find meaning and satisfaction and joy. You're not going to find happiness in life. We talked about this on Sukkot. You can't find happiness in life if you're constantly comparing what you have to others. You won't find it if you're constantly pursuing with great lust that which you desire. And you're not going to find it if you're so worried about your honor and your ego. It's motzian mina olam. It removes you from this world. It means you're not operating. Think about what motzian mina olam means. What kind of social life could you possibly have? What kind of interpersonal relationships could you possibly enjoy if you are consumed by jealousy, lust, or honor? You can't have real friends if you're always jealous. And you're not going to develop real relationships if it's always your lust. And you're not going to have the respect of people if it's always about your honor. So the rabbis determined, in contrast, what are the three things that the world exists on? The world exists on three things. They are... Torah, Va'avoda, Torah, Avoda, which is Avodah Shbalev, which is davening, service, prayer, a relationship with the Almighty, and Chesed. How did our rabbis know that? The answer is the same. You know what they did? They kept on reading. If you keep reading the Chumash, what are the next three stories? After Cain and Hevel, and after the Meino, the Mabul, and after the Dora Mabul, the Dora Flogger, rather. You come to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And what characterizes them? Avram's life is chesed. And Yitzchak's life is avoda, sacrifice. He's willing to be a sacrifice himself. And Yaakov, of course, is Torah. Ishtam Yoshev O'alim, studies Torah. So the rabbis understood you want to have a meaningful, purposeful life. You want to not remove and extract yourself from interpersonal relationships and from family, but rather you want to be immersed in social life with people, meaning purpose, Torah avoda gemilas chasadim. So the beginning of our Torah is disappointing but heartwarming at the same time. To me, I always find it as a great evidence, again, that our religion is not fabricated because you would never start it out this way. If you're trying to attract people to it, the opening stories of our Torah, of the Bible, are not exactly the greatest uh, motivator or recruitment. So, um, so today we'll study the story of the Dor Hamabel. Mari. Man was created in God's image. Where did these lusts originate from? How did they Good. So Mari asked, if man was created in God's image, but Selim Elohim, so where do these lusts originate from? So, the truth is, I don't want to take the time now because I want to get into this topic, but the answer is that originally the Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden lifestyle, did not, man did not have an internal sense of temptation, of lust, of desire. There was no internal Yetzirah. The Yetzirah was represented externally by the Nachash, by the snake. But when man failed to obey the one rule he had, when man failed to follow the one boundary that was set, the, the uh, Yetzirah became internal. How do we know that? Text. Because how did they walk around? What was the dress code in the Garden of Eden before they ate from the Yetzirah? They were nude, they were naked, and they were unaware. There was no shame, there was no embarrassment. And why is there no shame or embarrassment? Because at that time, nudity, and for that matter, fornication, were like eating in public. We're not embarrassed to sip a, from the bottle of water in public. We're not embarrassed to eat in public. It was another bodily function. But the moment they ate from the Yetzadas, the moment they ate that uh, fig or wheat or whatever the Yetzadas was, we know it wasn't an apple, 
right? It wasn't an apple despite the Renaissance art. So the moment they ate from the Yetzadas, the Yetzahara became internal, became an inner struggle. What do they realize right away? Literally that moment, according to the text. They notice we're, we're naked. They put on a fig leaf. God later clothes them in leather and so on. So we weren't created that way, but our failure to observe the default with which we were created all uh, uh, transitioned us to that. That's A. B is what we spoke about on Shabbat Shuvah, the battle of the godly soul and the animal instinct. That's the purpose of existence. God wants us to express our free will. Life has meaning when we make meaningful choices. One only has free will when there are equal alternative options battling for our will. So on the one hand, we have the animal impulse we spoke about, the nefesh behemoth, mima'al, mamish, in the words of the Balatanya. We literally are very parallel to animals. We eat like a pig and act like an animal and so on and so forth. And on the other hand, we have tzalem alokim, the godly soul, which gives us the capacity to be disciplined and have self-control. And that's the battle. That's the fight. Okay, I want to get to our subject. Yeah, Phil. Interesting to see a contrast between Noah and Avram. Avram pleaded for Saddam and he and Noah knew the world was going to do it. Absolutely. And never say the word about... Yeah. You know. The Medrash contrasts Noah and Moshe. Noah begins as an Ish Elohim and ends as an Ish Adama. He begins his career as a man of God and ends as a man of earth because, uh, because of what he did when he came out of the ark. Moshe begins as an Ish Mitzri and ends as an Ish Elohim. So yeah, the trajectory... Um, so what I want to study, we'll go through the text a little bit, is at the very end, when, when the rain falls for 40 days and 40 nights, and Noah can't determine whether it's time to leave the Teva, is there dry land, and, um, and sends out the different birds, and then comes out and offers the Korbanos, and resumes trying to rebuild humanity, rebuild life, and so on and so forth. So at the end of it, God makes a promise. And the promise is He's not going to do this again. In fact, go back to source number one. If you're uh, listening to this online, the source sheet should be up as well. So let's read. God spoke to Noah and his sons. I'm establishing my covenant with you and with your offspring after you. My covenant, my commitment is with you and with your family. And with every living being, birds, animals, every beast of the land, everything that left the ark together with you. And what's the commitment? Verse 11, Pasuk Yud Aleph. The commitment is, I will confirm my covenant with you. Never again. Isn't that amazing, that expression? Never again. Never again shall uh, uh, all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. What is it? Velo yikares. Never again. Vayomer alokim zos ospris ashaninu sein beni uveminichem uvein kol nefesh chayas sheritchem l'doros olam. You have to memorialize the commitment. You have to somehow capture the moment. There was no uh, iPhone. There was no uh, ability to take a picture on the moment. How did you memorialize then? A symbol. And what was the symbol? God says either I create. We'll talk about in a moment, or I designate one or the other. But the os, the sign is as kashti nasati I've set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the bris of the covenant of the promise between me and the earth. 
It's interesting too. Beni, it doesn't say Beni Uveinechem. I would have thought God would have said, the rainbow is the sign of my commitment between me and between you. But it doesn't say that. It says, Beni Uvein Haaretz, between me and the earth. When I place a cloud over the earth, and the bow will be seen in the cloud. Right, The word keshes means both a rainbow, and, and the root of the word rainbow is bow. Because a rainbow is in the shape of a bow, like a bow and arrow. And when I place that in the heavens, I will remember. I will remember. It's in itself fascinating. I will remember. Is God capable of forgetting? Did God really need this covenant? Does God need to tie a string around his finger or set a reminder and alert on his phone? Why does God need this symbol in the heavens to see it? Only when I see it, vizacharti. It's of course an anthropomorphism. To ascribe memory to God is, is paradoxical. God's omnipotent. He's infinite. He's all-being. He's all-capable. He doesn't have senior moments. He doesn't have forgetfulness. He doesn't have... So what's vizacharti? It's a very interesting term. It says earlier also with Noach, he remembers. And we see that term a number of times. The, um, I once gave a Yisker Drusha, the previous chief rabbi of England, before, I guess two previous chief rabbis ago, before Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Jacobowitz, Lord Emmanuel Jacobowitz, um, beautifully explains what Yisker is. That Yisker is actually not our remembering, but Yizkar is our appealing to Hashem to remember. And he says, why does Hashem need to remember? And he draws from all these psukim where we see references to God remembering. But anyway, that's for another time. So, V'zacharti, God says, I'll remember. Verse 16, God says, in the bow will be in the cloud, I'll look upon it, remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living being among all flesh on the earth. This is the sign of the covenant. It's a little repetitive, this section. This is the sign of the covenant I have confirmed between me and all the flesh on the earth. So what's the rainbow all about? Right? We all marvel. You see a rainbow. Somewhere over the rainbow. The imagery of the rainbow in literature and poetry and culture. We see a rainbow. Oh look, everyone, there's a rainbow. It's beautiful. What is the rainbow all about? And are we supposed to celebrate when we see a rainbow? Are we supposed to look away when we see a rainbow? What is the, there's a bracha to say. What's the rainbow really all about? So that's what I want to study together through the mafarshim, through the uh, commentaries that we normally engage. So Rashi says, you'll notice, verse 12, God described, well actually before we go back, let's just talk about what a rainbow is. What is a rainbow? The psukim themselves told us what a rainbow is. Twice God says, when does the rainbow form? After, that's one time. And, when does, the, when does a rainbow result? When do you see a rainbow? Cloud. What happens is there are thick clouds that block the sun. Normally we have sunlight. Sunlight is white. Clear, so to say, but it's white. It's a white light, you see, if you were to look at the sun. A thick cloud blocks the sunlight. You don't see sunlight. Rainbow is a thin mist, is a thin cloud, which rather doesn't block the sunlight, nor does one see directly the sunlight the way it appears to us as white, but rather it diffracts the sunlight. If you go back to our great authoritative source, Wikipedia, on page 1, 
A rainbow is an optical and meteorological phenomenon that causes a spectrum of light to appear in the sky when the sun shines onto droplets of moisture in the Earth's atmosphere. It takes the form of a multicolored arc. Rainbows caused by sunlight always appear in the section of the sky directly opposite the sun. Which makes sense, because you're seeing the sunlight refracted through the rainbow. In a so-called primary rainbow, the lowest and brightest, the arc of a rainbow shows red on the outer part, Violet on the inner, the rainbow is caused by the light being refracted, then reflected once in droplets of water. In a double rainbow, a second arc may be seen above and outside. The primary arc is order of its colors reversed. Second rainbow is caused by light reflecting twice inside water droplets. Fine. It's impossible for an observer to maneuver to see any rainbow from water droplets at any angle other than the customary one, which is 42 degrees from the direction opposite the sun, which again makes sense. If the result of seeing the rainbow is seeing the sun through a cloud, a thin cloud, then you have to be opposite the sun. Even if an observer sees another observer who seems under or at the end of a rainbow, the second observer will see a different rainbow further off yet, the same angle as seen by the first observer. Thus, a rainbow is not a physical object and cannot be physically approached. There's no gold at the end of the rainbow. You can't get to the end of the rainbow. A rainbow spans a continuous spectrum of colors, the distinct bands are an artifact of human color vision. No banding of any type is seen in black and white photo of a rainbow. And so on. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Colorblind persons will see fewer colors. Rainbows can be caused by many forms of airborne water. These include not only rain, mist spray, and airborne dew. Undoubtedly, you passed a sprinkler and saw a rainbow in the sprinkler. Because it doesn't have to be a cloud. One can look at a puddle on the ground and see a, water, see a rainbow in the puddle. We'll get to in a moment, halachically, is that a rainbow in terms of the bracha? If you see it in a sprinkler or a puddle or a bucket of water. But it can be seen in other places. Um, Rainbows can be observed whenever there are water drops in the air and sunlight shining from behind at a low altitude. The most spectacular rainbow displays happen when half the sky is still dark with raining clouds and the observer is at a spot with clear sky in the direction of the sun. Where does that happen more than anywhere? Florida. Florida, where we are. I'm sure you've had this experience. You could be driving on Palmetto Park Road and it's pouring rain. You could barely see out of the windshield and you drive out from under the cloud where the sun, all of a sudden, you have to put on your sunglasses. It's incredible. Half the circle could be raining and half the circle it's a sunny day. So it also lends itself to the most beautiful displays of rainbows. Rainbow is also commonly seen near waterfalls or fountains. The effect can be artificially created by dispersing water droplets into the air during a sunny day and so on and so forth. Okay, so that is a rainbow. Again, the scientific description of a rainbow, what the Chumash already told us the result of a rainbow is. Rainbow is not like the star in the sky that's perpetually there. Torah already told us. Eskashti nasati be'anan. Torah says, where does God say He places the rainbow? He could have just said in the heavens, in the sky. The Torah is very scientifically accurate. God says, where did I place my rainbow? In the cloud. Good. So what I want to spend my time on again is, our time on is, did God create the rainbow when He made the covenant or did the rainbow exist beforehand? And how do we feel when we see a rainbow today? And what's the rainbow symbolism all about? So Rashi tells us, if you look back at Pasuk Yidbez, God says, Zos osabris, this is my sign, between me and between you. So one time he says between me and you, and the next time he says between me and Haaretz, the land. For generations. What's unusual about that word lidoros, at the end of the Pasuk? It's missing. It's missing vav. It's spelled what we call chaser. 
It's missing a vowel. Lama dalad resh tof. So Rashi tells us nichtav chaser. Why is it missing letters? Sheyesh doro shelahutzruchu laos lefish tzadikim gemurim hayu. Rashi is quoting the Medrash, Barisha's Rabbah, which tells us there were generations that there were no rainbow. Why was there no rainbow in that generation? It wasn't necessary. Because again, the Torah told us, why does God bring a rainbow when He needs a reminder not to destroy the earth? Why would He need a reminder? Because at that moment He feels compelled He's drawn to, he wants to reset earth. So he has to place the rainbow to remember the covenant, the promise he made. Says Rashi, There were generations where God did not need to remind himself. Such virtuous, noble people, such meritorious individuals, a, a, a generation that merited not to need a rainbow. Is Florida more sinful? Very possibly. It rained. It rained. But at least for Rashi, we'll see now everybody agrees, at least for Rashi, the measures is to be taken literally that it rained. But in those generations, God never allowed a thin, mist, misty cloud opposite the sun at 42 degrees. People never perceived a rainbow. In that generation, nobody perceived a rainbow because they didn't need to, because God didn't need that reminder. That's what Rashi tells us. Says the Ramban, Nachmanides, source 3, this is the sign. What does the word no sein mean? That I am placing, giving. What does that mean, says Ramban? Did the rainbow always exist from creation? God now designated it as a sign? Or was it created in ex nihilo now? Something from nothing. Did God invent, create, establish the rainbow now? while memorializing? Or had it always existed, but he chose it as his, as his symbol? Says the Ramban, there's evidence from the text that it did not exist in Seishas Mebrishas. Because God says, Asherani no saying that I am placing. And God essentially extends creation. Not just the first six days, but God created again. And for that reason, the rainbow, interestingly, if it was a reminder to God, and it was a reminder of God's influence towards earth, what direction should the rainbow have been in? It should have been like this. The feet of the rainbow should have been in the heavens, and the rainbow pointing down, so to say. But it's not. It shows God created the rainbow and He created it the opposite direction, coming up from earth towards heaven to indicate that God is not going to reset the world again. It's not about God's influence on us. It's about our capacity to yearn and long and reach for Him. So, essentially three reasons the Ramban gives why the rainbow is the direction it faces. I don't know if it ever occurred to you before. If a rainbow is a sign from Hashem, so it should go like this. 
Not like this. He says the Ramban's three reasons. First of all, he says it's evidence that God created the rainbow as a result of this um, covenant. Because had the rainbow always existed, naturally it should have gone like this. The fact that it goes like this means God created it now. And He created it now to send a message. The message was He will not influence negatively the world. It's up to us to positively reach up to Him. Number two, He says a warrior at the end of a battle when he conquers his enemy and he approaches him, how does he hold his bow? Upside down. To indicate I come in peace. God's bow is upside down to indicate He comes in peace. He doesn't seek to destroy us. <coughs> Excuse me, thank you. And lastly, You know why the bow is upside down? It's God says I'm out of arrows. I'm not shooting any more arrows towards you. So when you see a rainbow from now on, the rainbow inverted essentially from the way it should be, logically, indicates God purposefully is putting it there now, that God holds it forth as a symbol of peace. I'm done trying to fight you, and I'm out of arrows. I'm not looking to destroy. It continues with Rambam. No, so it's upside down from God's perspective. No, no, but Phil, it's upside down from God's perspective. Meaning, yeah. He says, the Ramban says, we got a problem. How could you say the rainbow was invented now as a result of the flood and the commitment, the covenant, the promise? The Greeks are right. What is a rainbow? It's sunlight refracted through a misty cloud. So the Ramban says, on second thought, it seems clear that the rainbow always existed. Because when God says, I place it in my cloud, what's the language? Es kashti, my rainbow, nasati, I placed. When did I place it? Creation. During Sheshis Yimei Abreshis. Only when he talks about being a covenant, a sign, does it say, I need no saying as if it's new. But when he refers to the rainbow, it says that I placed. When did I place it? Many years ago with creation. And Kashti, when God says, I place my rainbow, what does that sound like? My rainbow that I've had forever. So, hey Jewish people, hey Noah and your sons, I shouldn't say Jewish people, they were B'nai Noah. Hey, Noah and your family and all of creation and Mother Earth, I'm placing my rainbow, the one you've always seen and that I've always had, will now be our symbol. So the Ramban reverses and tries to, in fact, prove from the text that the rainbow is not created anew, but rather this is the old, same old rainbow that's always existed. What's the reason for the rainbow to be a symbol? You know what a sign is, an os? You find it, throughout Tanakh you find it. Every time between Avram, you constantly find it. What is a sign? It captures and memorializes the feeling of the moment. 
As I said, there were no pictures. And there likely wasn't a contract that you could write and scan in and back up to your uh, cloud server. So how did you memorialize in perpetuity the moment, the feeling, the experience, the promise? You chose something. In the Chumash, we have countless examples. Sometimes a stone was chosen. A rock. Sometimes an altar was built. Sometimes sacrifices were offered. Sometimes, but moments were memorialized. So again, each time a, a, a choice is made to memorialize. Says the Ramban, whether the rainbow always existed, or the rainbow was created something from nothing now, either way it serves the same purpose, namely to be a sign. I'm at the end now, skipping to the last paragraph. If you've merited to understand Divrayam Teda ki perish across of Cain, as Kashti Shi Midas Hadin, Hanasuna Bianan, Beisadin, Tiel Os Bris. My the rainbow is really a sign of judgment. If you see a rainbow, it means that God is not happy. It's elicited God's judgment, says the Ramban. Because if God didn't need to invoke the memory of the covenant, he wouldn't have a rainbow. If there's a rainbow, what well, why do you why do you bring out a contract? You don't bring out the contract at lunch with your partner. Hey, remember the contract? I thought it would be so nostalgic to review it. It would be so nice. Why do you take a contract out? Because there's a problem. I'm concerned that you violated the contract. Or I want to enforce the contract. Or we need to revisit the contract. When you, bring out, when you take out the contract, it's because there's a problem. So when God takes out His contract with us, memorialized through the rainbow, says the Ramban, there is a problem. Says the Chizkuni, source 3, 13th century France. He says, you know what the symbolism of the rainbow? Why did God choose a rainbow? Why not the frog? Why not a lake? Why not a cloud? Why not a star? Why not... Why, why a rainbow? Says the Chizkuni, the rainbow has multiple colors, as we know the colors of the rainbow. And it contains within it the symbols of fire and water. Mare Edo, Mare Yarok. Red is fire, and he calls the green, green blue. Yarok in biblical Hebrew really means blue. Greenish blue is water. Normally, which beats which? Fire or water? Water extinguishes fire normally. So how can you have these two colors? How can you have fire and water side by side in a rainbow? Says the Chizkuni, that's God's promise. My water, I will no longer destroy the world. Flood. I'll no longer bring water to destroy the world. I'm not going to extinguish the world. The same way the rainbow contains the symbol of fire and water, and the water doesn't extinguish the fire, so too, my water will not extinguish the fire of the world, I will not bring a flood ever again. Okay, so that's the Chizkuni's interpretation of the symbolism of the rainbow, why it's meaningful. Says the Kliyakar, of Shlomo Ephraim Lunchitz. We'll uh, read the underline. He takes an in-between opinion. The Ramban said his first impression, then he quoted the Greek approach, 
Did the rainbow always exist? Was the rainbow created anew? Says the Kliyakar somewhere in between. The rainbow always existed, but nobody ever noticed it. He says, the Medrash that Rashi quoted says the Kliyakar, how are we supposed to understand that? If a rainbow really is a, phys- a physical phenomenon, a natural phenomenon, to suggest that in the time of Chizkiyahu or of Shimon Bar Yochai there were no rainbows is to suggest that God suspended the rules of nature during those generations and then restored them. And that's not really Seichaldik. Says the Kliyakar, that doesn't make much sense. For that, God's going to create a miracle, suspend the rules of nature. The rules of nature dictate that if you see the sun through a thin mist, you see a rainbow. Those generations, you never saw a rainbow. Why? Because God made that there was no thin mist. He changed the rules of nature. That doesn't make much sense. So says the Kliyaka, what seems to me, it appears to me to resolve this question. It doesn't say that there was no rainbow in those generations. It says they didn't see the rainbow. There was a rainbow. The natural order, the natural world was exactly the same. But they weren't looking for it. Why would you not look for it? So, when, when do you get legal counsel to review your contract? When are you looking at your contract with legal counsel? When you're worried that you're violating it. When you've got a really difficult decision to make, and you need to invoke your counsel, I need you to look at my contract or consult the law. Are we in trouble? Are we in trouble? When does the contract stay in the draw? When everything's good, when you have nothing to worry about. So says the Kliyakar, it means in those righteous generations, not that a rainbow didn't appear, but they weren't looking for it. Yes, physically, naturally, rainbows appeared. But if you're confident in your relationship with God and that He's not going to seek to destroy the world, you're not looking for it. You never happen to see the rainbow. But if you're worried, our behavior is not exactly great, bad choices, bad judgment, and you're worried that God's going to revisit His decision, you're always looking for that rainbow as a reminder that God's not going to destroy the world. That's what the Kli Yakar says. You don't agree. Right. So a lack of noticing is not always a good thing, but here, the Kliyakar suggests it is, they didn't look because they were confident they didn't need to. They didn't need to invoke the rainbow. Let's put it that way. If a rainbow is a promise and a covenant, those generations didn't feel a need to invoke the rainbow. Our generations do. So when we see that rainbow, we're looking for it, and when we see it, we are so um, reassured. 
we're reassured to know that God's not going to destroy us. Now, you may remember from the Machser Yom Kippur, we just sang a great song, one of the highlights of Yom Kippur. I will not sing it for you, but Mara Kohen. And in this, what's Mara Kohen? Mara means the appearance of the Kohen. What was this Pio written for? After at the end of the Avoda and the Yom Kippur davening, when we describe the Kohen Gadol emerging from the Holy of Holies and the service of Yom Kippur, we describe how he appeared. What's one of the metaphors we use for how he appears? Kidmus HaKeshes Besoche Anan. Like the image of a rainbow in a cloud. So I ask you, what do you think that means? What does it mean to compare the Kohen Gadol to a rainbow in a cloud? Kidmus HaKeshes Besoche Anan. Mara Cohen. I would say that once again you're reassured oh. that things will be good. Excellent. So Faye says Yom Kippur, our lives lay in the balance, what will be, our destiny, judgment, who knows. Just like the vision, the image of a rainbow is reassuring, the image of the Kohen Gadol coming out confidently is reassuring. It's the same level of of being reassuring. Excellent. How else might you interpret it? Because uh, he went to the Kodesh Kedushim and when he came out, the Jews were forgiven. Good. So it's reassuring when he comes yeah. out, we are forgiven. So I saw it suggested also, the Kohen Gadol represents the diversity of the Jewish people. The colors of the rainbow reflect diversity. There's one light that comes in, the sun, and it's refracted into multiple colors. This is, I didn't include this in the source sheets, but beautiful interpretation of, uh, not this Refersh, but we'll see it elsewhere. We'll, we'll see it now actually with Refersh. Refersh says it here, Refersh says it here also. What, what is? What? Yeah. The sun provides one light, like a prism. One light comes in, but it's refracted into multiple lights. Hashem is one, obviously, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, the unity of God's existence, the oneness of God's existence is the ultimate in unity, but God expresses Himself through us. And humanity is diverse and different, and we complement one another and we supplement one another. And the image perhaps of the Kohen Gadol coming out is that rainbow, the colors of the rainbow, the Kohen Gadol represents all the diversity of the Jewish people. And in the cloud, within that mist, we see the coin. Good, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Hold that thought. Radiance. Right. Oh, very nice. So, rainbow in the cloud, is a, it radiates through the positive, the Success, the good year. We should have a rainbow. We should have a rainbow. I, well, <laughs> I don't think so for other reasons. Let's look at Rav Hirsch. Source 7, page 4. You're too naive and innocent, Phil, to understand. But I'll explain to you later. God bless you. Says Rav Hirsch. Yeah, it's not entering our logo. Says Rav Hirsch. <clears throat> Says Rav Hirsch. Just as here God did not satisfy himself with merely proclaiming his word, but dedicated a memorial to his proclamation, so in the whole course of history of the divine government for the well-being of mankind in Israel, he appointed signs, reminders for the great truths and principles he gave them, which were to serve to keep these teachings ever fresh and present in the minds of men. Mila, circumcision. Shabbos, which is a sign in time. Os, beinu veinechem. 
And it's the very same language. Oshi beni uveinechem l'dorosam bris olam. Mila is an os. Bris is a sign. Tefillin are called a sign. This is why men don't wear tefillin on Shabbos. Shabbos is one sign, a symbol. Their bris that men carry perpetually is a second sign. You only need two signs. You need two witnesses to affirm a truth. So you don't wear tefillin on Shabbos. It's unnecessary. L'dorosam doubly chaser, for times which appear intensively and extensively deficient, which have left themselves would go to ruin. If in such times one is overcome by despair for future or doubts the justice of God and allowing such a state to continue, the rainbow in the clouds is to remind us that over and beyond even such times God has given mankind His covenant. Even through such times, His management will lead to mankind to its ultimate goal. So the rainbow is the beginning the first time in history, but says refresh, we see it over and over again. When God wants to reassure us or remind us or elevate us, He gives us a sign. The bris for men is the sign of the flesh. Shabbos is the sign of time. Tefillin is the sign of the heart and the head, and so on. He continues, It is by no means necessary to assume that hitherto there had been no rainbow and to place it in connection with the atmospheric changes which occurred after the flood. Just as God showed Abraham the starry heavens and said, as he showed Moshe and Aaron the new moon, and with the words, consecrated this monthly phenomenon, which of course had been in existence since the beginning of the world, to be a sign of physical and moral rejuvenation for Israel. So Rav Hirsch is agreeing with the Ramban and proving. When God said to Avram, look up at the stars, that's how many kids you're going to have. And he made it a sign. Did he first create stars then? Of course not. Stars that always existed. When he told Moshe and Aaron, Look up at the new moon. You will control the month. Did he invent the moon then? No, we just read he invented the moon in the six days of creation. So similarly here. Continue verse 15. And here's where Refresh gets into his beautiful meaning. The symbolism of the rainbow. <clears throat> the sign and its meaning is told us about that there can be no doubt. It only remains to consider the connection between the sign and its signification. This has been attempted in various ways. The sign, right, the rainbow, is a reversed weapon, a bow with the string towards the earth so that it would shoot away from the earth, accordingly a sign of peace, no more arrows from heaven. Its appearance is that of an ark joining the earth to heaven, accordingly a bond between heaven and earth. So first he invokes the Ramban, right, that it's no longer a weapon, but also the idea that it's an ark joining earth and heaven, a bond, a covenant, between God and us. The phenomenon itself is woven from light and water. In the midst of overcast threatening clouds, it announces the presence of light. It is accordingly a reminder that in the midst of God's threatened wrath, His preserving grace is still there. It's a very powerful image. So in other words, rainbow is by definition the result of rain. It's a rainbow. You see the bow after the rain. The rain is gloominess, darkness, negativity, toxicity. The rainbow is light. Even within the rain, or as a result, even in the shadow of the rain, one sees the light. And that's supposed to be uplifting to us, that no matter what we're going through, says Rav Hirsch, the challenges that we face, the rain that falls on us, that rainbow should remind us that God's light will burst through. But perhaps... I skipped. In the midst of the presence of light, it's going to remind us that... Still there. But perhaps the sight of the colors of the rainbow is in closer relation than all these ideas. By it, our attention would repeatedly be directed to the fact that in spite of all the differences in the degree of human development, God would never again decree the downfall of the whole human race. 
but its future education to its godly purpose was to be founded just on these differences and varieties of humanity. In other words, rather than diversity being a, a liability, the rainbow symbolizes that God now sees diversity as a virtue. For is the rainbow anything else but the one pure, complete ray of light broken up into seven degrees of seven colors? From the red rays nearest to the light to the violet most distant from the light, losing itself into the darkness, and from the one to the other, are they not all rays of light? And combined all together, do they not form the one complete pure white ray? You need all the colors of the rainbow together in order to form that white ray. All of the colors, all of the diversity. Could not this perhaps be meant to say the whole manifold variety of all living creatures, from the most alive Adam, Adam, the red one, man, nearest to the godly, down to the lowest, humblest form of life and the humblest worm, all nefesh and above all, the whole variety of shades in which henceforth the purely human would show itself in the races of mankind, from the bright, highly intellectual people down to those in whom, to the human eye, the spiritual element hardly glimmers. So red, how do you say red in Hebrew? Edom, which is the same letters as Adam, and that's the light, that's color, that's closest. It says Rafersh, that's nearest to the godly, that's the brightest light, down to the darkest. So from the brightest light, the highly formed, moral, ethical human being, down to the lowest, the dark color, which seems to be the lowest, it's all part of the rainbow. God unites them together. One common bond of peace, all fragments of one life, all refracted rays of the one Spirit of God, even the lowest, darkest, most distant one, still a son of the light. Thus, later on, our sages describe the different spiritual and moral degrees of the tzaddikim in the metaphor of nuances of light. From the bright illuminating rays of the sun to the gleam of the lamp in the temple, all is light. Only according to the difference of the material it appears different. Sheva kito shel tzaddikim, p'neim domos l'chama, l'levan, l'rakia, l'brakam, l'kocham, l'shashanam, l'mneres b'esam mikdash. First invokes the chazal that compare the righteous people to different lev- different hues of light. So again, the first introduces the beauty the rainbow is God's commitment that He will no longer wipe out humanity in one fell swoop as a whole, but rather, He will recognize and embrace the diversity of man. He'll see us as the many colors of the rainbow. So we've seen a lot of different explanations of the symbolism. <clears throat> the Ramban said the symbolism of the rainbow was an upside-down bow, putting down the weapon. God says, I'm at peace, I'm not going to destroy you again. We saw the Chizkuni, fire and water, both colors are represented in the rainbow. They can't normally be simultaneously side by side. The water extinguishes the fire. God says, nevertheless, I will exist side by side with you even when you fail, and I will not extinguish you with my flood. The, uh, we saw the Kohen Gadol had the appearance. We saw our first, we talked about diversity. I want to share another idea. My friend Rabbi Donnie Cohn, who's a rabbi in Connecticut, has a beautiful thought. Source 8, the Gemara Baba Kama, Pebe says... You know, we know Ezra instituted the requirement to read from the Torah every Monday and Thursday. Why do we read from the Torah every Monday and Thursday? Jewish people traveled three days in the desert and they didn't find water. So our expounders taught, Whenever we see water, water is a metaphor for Torah. Nilu, they became exhausted. So a Jew can't go three days without Torah. So by reading the Torah Monday and Thursday in Shabbos, we break up our week that we never go three days without Torah. 
But for our purposes, the metaphor for Torah is water. A lot of reasons why it flows, it's clear, it sustains, it nourishes. Think about Rabbi Akiva. What inspired Rabbi Akiva to know he could change, even at 40 years old? What did he see that made him know he could change? He saw the drip of the water, the stream, the droplets of the water hitting the rock over and over and over again. And what happens? If you leave a faucet running, there's a drip in your faucet, it can even take out a, put a dent in your porcelain sink, a stone sink. Rabbi Akiva sees that it's putting a dent in the rock. He says, a rock is the hardest substance and water can penetrate it. So my head, which is as hard as a rock, it's not too late for the water to penetrate, for Torah to penetrate. Torah is likened to a, to a rock. So, said Rav Danikon, says Rav Danikon, my buddy, says, you know, think about it for a moment. The light, is, the, light the sun, is Hashem. Thick clouds block us from Hashem. A thick cloud blocks us. You can't see the sun at all. A thin mist, the right amount of water, Mayim is Torah, it refracts the light and it comes through in beautiful colors. If you want to understand how to engage the world, it's through Torah. Torah takes the world from black and white to living in full color. Without Torah, you're living in black and white. With Torah, you're living in full color. It makes the world come into full color. You can appreciate, you can understand, you can recognize, you can identify, you can associate, you can be uplifted, you can be enriched, you can be elevated. Torah brings everything into full color, without which many people stumble around in black and white. So he suggested this notion that the rainbow is only appears through water and the right amount of water, Ein Mayim El Torah, it means Torah refracts the world for us. Just as we gaze, and you can only see the sun refracted through, when it is refracted through the water, it appears so beautiful. When we engage the world, if we do so through the prism, literally, of Torah, it appears the world comes to us in full color. Continues. Now let's get to the halachic part. So we saw many, many symbols, a lot of very beautiful explanations of what it's all about. Source 9, the Gemara Brachos. Amar Balaksandri, Amar Yeshua ben Levi. Haroa Sakesh's Bi'anan, person who sees a rainbow. By the way, where does it say you see the rainbow? Bi'anan, in the cloud. Which means that if you see a rainbow in the puddle of gas at the gas station, or you see a rainbow in a bucket, you see a rainbow through a sprinkler, this Gemara does not apply. You don't make the bracha. You only make the bracha if you see it bi'anan. Sarach Shayipol Alpanav, he suggests you have to prostrate yourself. You fall on your face. Why? You're seeing a vision of God's glory. Because God made this covenant. The rainbow is, you're seeing a revelation of God at that moment. The vision of a rainbow is nothing short of the revelation of God. So much so that he suggests one should react by bowing down. That's the appropriate response. So, they condemn this practice in Israel. Because what does it look like? You're bowing down, it looks like idolatry. Bowing down to it's bad enough we say Kiddush Levana, which whole halachic shilas, it looks like you're worshipping the moon. Now we're worshipping the rainbow. So we don't bow down. What did they establish to do instead? How should we react? You make a bracha. My, well, how does a Jew react when you see a phenomenon? You make a bracha. Thunder, lightning, you smell a pleasant fragrance, you eat some good food. 
Baruch Zocher Habris. Blessed are you, God. Baruch Hashem, Blessed are you, God. Zocher, who remembers Habris, the covenant. After all, that's what the rainbow was a sign of. B'masni Satana, Rabbi Shmuel ben Osher, Rabbi Yochanan, Bebroka Omer, Ne'eman bevriso v'kayim b'ma'amaro. He added, not just Zocher Habris, who's trustworthy in his covenant and fulfills his word. A threefold bracha. So, Omer of Papa Hilchach, Namnirin l'chavayu. There's a dispute. Which one do you say? Zohar Abris or Nema Bevris of Akaim Bemamaro? So what do we do? Both. Baruch Hashem Alkenem Alcholam Zohar Abris v'Nema Bevris of Akaim Bemamaro. Says Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, the Ben Yehoyada, in Source Eleven. This brach has three components, and it corresponds with three ways that God interacts with us. Hadamaskir and Shlosha Chalakos nearly b'siyat d'shmaya ki akeshes yeshbo gimagvanin. The, the, the rainbow has three, cla- three colors. Lavan, keneged kav chesed. The white is the chesed, God's loving kindness. The adam, keneged kav gvura. Red is strength. Viaro, keneged kav rachamim. And the green blue is compassion. Ukeneged elo omrim gimel mine shevach hanizkar. So we say zocher habris and Ne'eman bevriso and kain b'ma'aro, those three clauses conform with chesed, gvura, and rachamim. That's a good question. He doesn't spell it out. So which one is which? Which one is which? Zohar Abris is chesed, is white. Zohar Abris is chesed, is white. Naaman bevriso is gvura, is red. And Bekayim um, b'ma'amaro keeps his promises, rachamim is green. The Maharsha adds, source 12, says the Maharsha, Bekayim b'ma'amaro naaman bevriso. God is trustworthy. We can, uh, we can trust him that he'll keep his word. Sha'idei akesha zohar abris v'naaman ulasos kein. Shlolahavi mabul olam. So Lufisha Inko Khadash Ulo Nivra Keshes Hashta Luskara Briskamar Shukaim Bemaamaro Kikvar Nivra Bemaamar. What does it mean when we when when we describe um the Kayim Bemaamaro? Kayim Bemaamaro, the Marsha means Bemaamaro, when was the rainbow created? With creation. How was the world created? With ten Ma'amaro's ten sayings. Kayim b'ma'amaro means that God is invoking one of the things from creation, i.e. the rainbow, and using it to be zocher abris and to be naman b'briso, trustworthy with his, with his commitment. So this is in fact the halacha. With this we conclude. Source 13, Shulchan Aruch says, Haroa keshes omer, see a rainbow you say, Baruch Hashem wa kenam alach olam, zocher abris, naman b'briso, v'kayim b'ma'amaro. V'asar l'histakel bo b'yoser. But, says the Shulchan Aruch, one is forbidden from gazing at the rainbow. You should notice the rainbow, notice it, say the bracha, be moved by its symbolism we discussed, the diversity, God's promise for peacefulness, all of the things that we saw, a bond between heaven and earth. Notice the rainbow, be moved by its meaning, but don't gaze at it excessively. Says the Mishnah Bura even further, he's quoting the Chayyot Adam, don't tell your friend about the rainbow. Don't call your friend and say, look outside right now, there's the most magnificent rainbow. Why? Because it's Lashon Hara. It's Lashon Hara. Why is there a rainbow? Because at that moment, God's 
sitting in, he's not so happy. The, right, the rain is falling. God's not happy. The light shines through. God nevertheless maintains His promise, but He's not happy. So don't call your friend. It's a form of Lushen. It's a form of Lushen Hara. Right? And that's where the, that's where the Chayyadun quotes it in source 15. The uh, Piskei Tshuva, source 16, tells us, Allah Chalamaisa, Davka Goran Agula. Now, what if you only see a portion of a rainbow? Sometimes because of the cloudiness or the angle you're in or the skyscraper, you only see a sliver of the rainbow. Do you make the bracha? So he answers no. You only make the bracha if you see the entire ark. If you see less than the ark, you say the bracha but without God's name. Just say, right, Baruch Zohar Bris Nama Bris You don't say Hashem's name. The only time you say Hashem's name is if you see the entire ark of the rainbow. I think you still say one bracha. Yeah. There's no time limit. If you see a rainbow every day, you say a bracha every day, see a different rainbow in the afternoon than you saw in the morning, you'd say a new bracha. The bracha is not, uh, doesn't, exp- doesn't expire. Okay, so we saw that God made a promise to Noah. He memorialized the promise through the rainbow. The rainbow has, uh, the Rashi told us there were generations that never saw a rainbow. Was that meant literally? The Kliyakar said it wasn't meant literally. They didn't look for the rainbow because they didn't need to be reassured. They were confident in their merits. We saw the meaning. The Ramban says the rainbow always existed since Sheshimia Abrashis. It's a symbol of a weapon being put down. The Chizkuni says the fire and water. We saw the Kohen Gadol appeared as a rainbow. The first introduced us to the idea of the diversity of the Jewish people, of humanity. We saw the idea of Torah, water is like Torah. When we view the world through Torah like a rainbow, it, the world comes to us in full living color rather than black and white. And we saw the bracha, the halacha of seeing a rainbow. Have a fantastic week.